Well, good morning, family. It is my privilege this morning to open up the Word of God with you. Um, I have been so encouraged over the past few weeks, and especially by the children's testimonies and stories on how they are living high definition in their walk with Jesus. And last week, Matt did a phenomenal job to point us back to the Word of God. In order to be doers of the Word, we've got to be hearers and hear it as often as possible. Read it daily, get into it, and apply it in our lives, and then we become the hearers and the doers that God intends for us to be. And I really hope that you've been, uh, been invested in our reading plan that we have on version. If you haven't started yet, it's not too late. You'll be able to, to catch up quickly. So continue to read with us because beyond the message on a Sunday, it is so important for us to engage the Word on a daily uh, basis so that we really get to move into everything that God has for us. Now this morning, we're going to get into... A very strong and, and convicting piece of, of this letter of the book of James. And in order for us to get going, uh, I want to take us one step back to the last verse of the first chapter where we ended last week. It ends with this word, words that, that, the, that pure and undefiled religion before the Father is to take care of the widow and the orphan. And then these words and to keep oneself unstained from the world. If you ever want to answer the question, Lord, how do I live in pure religion, in pure um, worship before you. He says, well, take care of those in need and live in such a way that you are not stained by the world. And this is important for us to keep in mind because James is about to speak up and he's about to call up a stain of this world that has been around us since the beginning of, of sin. It's something that's in the human heart, it comes out in the human heart, it shows in the human heart, it's nothing new. Although there's been seasons and, and countries and places around the world where this stain has just, just come up in a powerful way. But this stain is something that I believe every human heart has battled with at some point, has succumbed to at some point, has faced, has had to deal with. And this is the stain of partiality, preference or favoritism depending on which, um, which one of the, the, the translations you read. So the stain that James is about to speak about is the stain of segregation. And I intentionally chose that word segregation because the word segregation means the action of setting someone apart from others. It's the idea of us as humans separating people based on our favorites, based on our biases, based on how we prefer it. And we segregate and we draw these lines in our hearts. And James is saying, you ought to be unstained from the world. So let's talk about this stain of partiality, of segregation, of you stepping in and separating people according to social, political, racial, whatever class it is that you have chosen. The stain of segregation has spilled over onto our hearts through opinion, preference, history, culture, offense, humanism, and it's colored all of our hearts just a little bit and tainted it a little bit off from that which God and Jesus has for us. Remember here that James is addressing the church. He's saying, my beloved brothers. So he's not speaking to the world out there and trying to settle this message in the world. He's saying, the church, the, those who, who follow Jesus and has decided to live according to the ways of Jesus, you guys better make sure that there's no stain of partiality, segregation or favoritism 
amongst you. Because this is just not the way of God. And this stain comes in its subtle ways, in the little nuances of how we interact with people or how we speak about people or see people. But it also comes in the full force of demonic oppression over people and various battles that human history has faced. So let's read together what James says about this stain of segregation. James chapter 2, we're going to be reading the first 13 verses together. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who, he, who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but falls in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Lord Jesus, I am so acutely aware in this moment that these words are so dear to your heart. When you made man, you said, I created them in my image. Lord, and, and our image of man is often so tainted because of the realities and the culture and the word around us and so many times our own brokenness and our own hearts. So I pray this morning by the preaching of the word and the anointing of your Holy Spirit, will you come and restore our hearts? Will you come and restore our view of other people to that which you intended to be? We trust that you would make us whole this morning as we look into scripture in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning I'm going to title my message, Pay Attention. James speaks about this idea of paying attention and he asks the question how do you pay attention to people who do you pay attention to how do you pay attention when you interact with someone perhaps someone new and the question comes to mind what do you look at when you meet a new person do you look at their clothes do you look at the way they speak do you look at the way they act do you think about the way they they might smell or the way that they might move and in your mind you've you've got a list of boxes or prejudices that you that you activate in that moment or it also might be that you know someone for quite some time and you learn something new about them and then suddenly you pay attention to something new. 
So I'm going to tell us where we're going to go this morning and then we're going to go through the scripture and I believe that God is going to speak to our hearts. First of all, we're going to say that it's essential for the church to pay attention first to the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, we're then going to spend a little bit more time on the idea of paying attention to his kingdom and how his kingdom works and how the rules and the law of his kingdom applies to the church and to us. Then we're going to move on and we're going to pay attention to the royal law of love, which is in this passage. And then our last stop for this morning is to pay attention to mercy. And I believe that is where Jesus is leading all of us this morning to the point of mercy. So first of all, as the church, as beloved brothers and sisters, as we are recipients of this letter and, and these words of James, we have to pay attention to the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. I love what James is doing right at the start of this, this part of his letter. He just spoke about the stain of the world and he's about to address one, but first he does something beautiful. He says, let me remind you, church, let me remind you that you hold a faith and that faith that you hold is filled with the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. For a moment, he lifts their gaze a little bit higher and he says, I'm going to talk to you about how you see. And in order for us to, to change how we see one another, we've got to remind ourselves that in this faith, we behold something far more greater, far more glorious, far more perfect than anything else your human eyes can see. He says, behold what you hold. Think about your faith that you're holding on to and look at that for a moment and see our Lord Jesus Christ as the glorious one. Let me remind you for a moment how perfect, glorious, full of splendor, majesty and glory Jesus is. And remember, he is the father of lights. So in light of that, as you pay attention to that and the glory of Christ, you will see differently when you look at others. I believe this. I believe this with my whole heart. As we, as we look to the one, the only one that is counted glorious, we will, we will act in a way with others that, that is a little bit different. You see, we find ourselves often beholding people as glorious. We look up to them because of the standards of this world. And, and, and we ascribe glory or honor or whatever it is you want to do to them. But James says, guys, the faith that you hold on to, the glorious one is Jesus. So keep your eyes on him. And as you keep your eyes on Him, your glory and your worship and your praise will be to Him. And then you will treat humans in a balanced and in the right manner. So the question I want to ask this morning, when we talk about paying attention to the glory of Jesus, is what are you comparing to? Because if you compare any human being to the glory of Jesus, we all fall in the same space. So let's, let's not fall into that trap of comparing humans to humans. Let's gaze upon the beauty of Jesus. And, and the Bible describes him so beautifully. He says, our Lord Jesus Christ, who dwells in unapproachable light. His face is like the sun shining in full strength. Revelations 1, John is in, in, in the presence of Jesus in the heavenlies. And he says, I fell down as one who is dead. In the presence of Jesus who is shining so gloriously, it's like you've taken the sun and you've turned the volume knob onto full strength. He dwells in unapproachable light. 
And James for a moment says, guys, let's quickly remind ourselves what and who do we ascribe any glory to? It's not intended for man. It's intended for Jesus. And in light of his glory, don't allow this sin to be in your lives. Think about Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah sees the glory of God and, and he describes the, the temple of God and the robe of God filling the whole temple and the angels in the presence of God pouring out praise the whole time. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And Isaiah is there in that presence and he beholds that glory. And what is his response? He says, woe is me. I am broken. I am sinful. I cannot stand in the presence of one so glorious. And James says that again, in the light of the glory of Jesus, you cannot allow the sin to be in your life. Focus on the gaze and the beauty of who he is. Be like John in Revelation who falls as one who is dead when you see it. Be like Timothy who speaks about him as the one in unapproachable light. And be like Isaiah when you see the glory of Jesus. You say, Lord, any sin in me, take it away. Because he's faithful like he was with Isaiah. And he came and he touched him and said, you have been cleansed. When we were praying for this week, what I love about our community is that we have an incredible prayer team who pray into everything that we do as a church and especially into Sundays. And this week I did reach out to the team and I said, guys, I'm going to preach on this topic of partiality and favoritism and segregation. Can you really just cover, cover my, me as I, as I prepare? And one of the encouragements that came back from someone on our prophetic team is that, that she saw a piercing light shining into our eyes Something like laser surgery of the eyes, a cutting away of old, an implanting of new lenses, and a new way of seeing. And when I read that, my heart leaped and I said, yes, Lord, that is my prayer. Will you do something in our spirits? Will you do something inside of us in the way we see and behold you? That you come and cut away anything of old, any old ways of thinking and seeing people and put new lenses on us. So that we see people, we see it in the light of your glory. And that's my prayer this morning as we continue on from this point. Let's pay attention to the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. The second thing that James encourages us or invites us into is to pay attention to the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. He quickly brings to mind the reminder that we are part of a kingdom. And he, and he says this, that if a man wearing gold rings and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a man comes who, who wears shabby clothes and doesn't look too great and you tell the man who, who looks so amazing and, and, and just he, he's got all the, the, the things that you like, listen, you know what, I've got a seat right up front for you. This is the best seat in the house. Come and enjoy it. And you look at the guy who, who you just don't like and you've made that distinction. You tell him, you know what, There's, there should be a seat at the back or just, just sit down. Just already, just sit down here, just right here. Church is about to start. And he challenges us and he says, guys, the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ does not work like that. In fact, he challenges us so boldly to say that when we do that, we have become evil judges. Now, evil is the opposite of good. And we've just read in chapter one that every good and perfect gift comes from our Father of lights. So when we are evil judges and we make that distinction between people, for whatever reason it is, we are not partnering or working with the Father of lights who is good. 
And he says, church, let this not be in you. And then he reminds us that the kingdom of God works differently. The kingdom of God sees differently. The kingdom of God has a different culture. Because in our culture, we would want to make that separation between that which is beautiful and strong and good and perfect and looks great. And man, maybe if I get in here and, and maybe start a friendship, there might be some benefit in it for me. And this one on the other side just feels like a whole lot of time and energy that needs to be spent. We've got to be reminded that we are part of a kingdom. And this kingdom have a king. And the kingdom belongs to him. And he sits on the throne of his kingdom. And he will not allow anyone else to take his throne. Because the kingdom, he said, divided against itself will not stand. And he sits as a king over his kingdom on the judgment seat and on the throne of judgment as the only true and perfect and rightful judge in that moment. And the question that James asks in this moment, have you taken the seat? Have you come up and said, you know what, Jesus, let me play judge for a moment and determine who I like and who I don't, who I want to spend time to and who I don't. And he's not speaking about finding friends and, and, and building deep, meaningful relationships. He just says the way we see people. He says, when you do that, you've become evil. You've taken a place which is not yours and you've set yourself as a judge in my kingdom. You are part of a kingdom and I'm the king I'm the one. And within this kingdom, there are boundaries, there are rules, there are laws. There's, there's the way that we engage this kingdom. And it's so different to the kingdom of the world. Jesus compares the two kingdoms. So many times in, in his teachings, the Beatitudes, so many times he says, the poor. So many times he says, you know what, first seek the kingdom and all the things that you need in the world. That'll come, but pursue the kingdom of God, the kingdom of the Father. And here James does the same. He says, let's quickly compare these two kingdoms and the way they operate. See, in the kingdom of the world, you, you look at the rich and you praise them and you like them and you want to spend time with them. But in the kingdom of the world, isn't it the unredeemed rich who drags you to court? Isn't it the unredeemed rich who would, at the expense of people, want to scale the ladder of more and, and, and getting and gaining whether people get hurt or not? And these are the ones that you want to praise. But in my kingdom, let's be reminded that our Savior and our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious one, has said that it's the poor and the meek and the humble that he has come for. It is those that he esteemed. It is those that he, he is after. The sovereign Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. Yes, the poor in spirit, but in the upside down kingdom of our Lord, those that the world doesn't esteem, Jesus esteems quite high. So when we look at fame, status and strength, when we look at clothes, we've got to ask ourselves the question, do we see according to the kingdom culture of our Lord Jesus Christ? Or have we just been so directed by the kingdom culture of this world around us that we see like that? See, James is not playing the poor off against the rich. He's playing our low views of against the higher views of the kingdom. That's what I love so much about Ruan's story this morning. A young man who's living in high definition because he says, Jesus, I'm not going to treat this bully, this guy, this enemy in the way that the world would want me to treat him. Just write him off. Just, just be mean back. I'm going to pray for him. I'm going to love him. I'm going to trust that you're going to do something in him. I'm not going to sit as the judge in the kingdom of, 
of my Lord Jesus Christ and determine how this guy should be treated or how he should be seen. See, Scripture reveals Jesus and God as the only rightful judge. Later on in James, here's, here's a little sneak peek going forward. James 5 verse 9, it says, Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge, capital letter, is standing at the door. That word complaints means to have an internal and unexpressed feeling towards. And James says later on in his letter, guys, you better not have in internal and unexpressed negative feeling towards people of moaning and complaining and grumbling because the judge, God, is standing at the door and he's coming and it's sooner than you think. And you might just think, you know what, I'll get to that one day and I'll, I'll let God show me the, 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 the bad side of my heart and deal with it one day. He says, no, 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 the judge is at the door. He's coming. Be ready, be clean. Don't play into the trap of becoming a judge in your own world. See, when we do that and we fall into the sin of segregation, we play judge in the small courtrooms of popular opinion and personal preference. But we forget that we all sit in the ultimate courtroom of the only just and true judge, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The subtle ways in which this, this sin comes into our, into our world is so quickly expressed in our culture when we look at someone that's poor and like shame it's the word we use right and that sh that word sometimes moves us but oftentimes not and might be a moment of connecting with that person's pain but james is saying you know what that person ought to be in your assembly and be loved like those who who's got it all together or we hear a story about someone's brokenness and our response is sure and and we don't connect or we see someone, we know their story and, and they walk through church or we see them in the store or around our daily life or at a social gathering or wherever it might be and we know the story and we're just like, sure, I, I don't want to deal with that right now. Some other subtle ways is name dropping. <laughs> I'm going to point out some things this morning purely because I believe Jesus wants to minister to our hearts and set us free. Some other subtle ways in which favoritism has stepped in us through our Instagram posts. Getting some photos at our social gatherings and then maybe finding that one photo without that person that just doesn't look or act the way you would want them because you want the post to show the best. You want the post to look the best. I've been to church conferences where I've seen the famous find the front seats and been given the front seats and and when the normal people want to approach some of the leaders, they are shunned aside. But the famous are celebrated up front. The subtle ways in which it comes in is finding our escape route when you see that individual coming your way. Quickly figuring out how do I get out of this? Because I don't like that interaction that much. Do you see where the church so quickly falls into this trap? In the light of the glory of Jesus and living according to his kingdom, this is something that cannot be in us. So we, we give a little to those who are poor and we say, yeah, I've done my part for the poor, but we aren't willing to, to bridge the gap and get into their stories and get into their worlds and get into their lives and, and be in that uncomfortable place of facing our own 
hearts. This is what James is inviting us to. You see, living in high definition, I believe, in the church of God ought to be found in spending time with the other, in spending time with those that we aren't so comfortable in spending time with, not just finding our favorites, not just finding the strong, not just finding those that we can benefit from, but finding those who might just teach us something a little bit different. Some of the stronger ways that this is in the church today is is in our words of, of, I'm just not comfortable to go there. I, I just, I don't need to, to talk about this issue. Sometimes we just simply partner with the spirit of this age and we say and we do things that is oppressing others. So we can, you see, we can pray, Lord, your kingdom come. We can pray it and we ought to pray it. Jesus said, pray that. But we get to bring the kingdom of God to our world. So when we prayed, we've got to ask the question, do we live like his kingdom has come? And when his kingdom has come to our world and to our lives, favoritism will not be in it. So let's pay attention to how the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ works. And then I'm going to take us through the last two. James then helps us. Okay, here's the problem. You're battling with favoritism. You're battling with partiality. How, James? How do I? How do I? To win this war inside of my heart. And he says, pay attention, attention to the royal law of our Lord. You see, there's a royal law in this kingdom. This kingdom has a law that is above any other law. And it's given to us by our king. There was a moment when Jesus was approached and asked, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And then equal to that, it is to love your neighbor. In other words, that person that you have face-to-face contact with and encounter, love him like you love yourself. And I believe this is the antidote to favoritism. This royal law that James then brings to mind. He says, church, remember that this is how we fight this fight and win this battle. Is when we live according to that law that Jesus gave us. Let's read again. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. So the question is beckons to us this morning is what will it be? Will we live like royals in this kingdom of our glorious king and act according to the royal law which he has given us, treating others the way we would like to be treated? Or will we be committing the sin? You see, the golden rule is applied here. Something that Jesus taught. He says, treat others in the same way that you want to be treated. So if you had to place yourself for a moment in the shoes of that person that that we we, we shun away and we, we give the seat at our feet and we don't treat in the light of the glory of Jesus, would you want to be that person? And that's why Jesus said the royal law is understanding that you've got to love others as you love yourself. So the way that you want to be treated is the way that you treat others. And I believe this is the antidote on how we fight this battle. Is when that sin and that temptation and that, that brokenness in us shows and when we see other people, will you take a moment and think how it feels to them if they are mistreated in the way they not ought to be? Put yourself in their shoes and flip the page and then see for a moment how you would feel. That will help us understand how better 
to do this because Jesus said, if you want to fulfill the law, this is how you do it. Love God with everything. Have no other gods before Him. All of your heart, soul, and mind. And then make sure that you love others the same way that you love yourself. That you share, that you live, that you are open, that you embrace, that you see the brokenness, that you see the poverty. And you say, you know what, I'm willing to go there because if that was me, I would want someone to come to me. And then James ends and he takes us a little bit further into this idea of the law. But he ends with the idea of mercy. And my last point this morning is that we ought to pay attention to the mercies of our Lord. You see, he says there's the royal law of love, but then there's the law of liberty. And if you make one mistake, and he talks about murder and adultery, but he says there's a law that God has given. And if you make one mistake, you stand guilty. In actual fact, he uses the word point. He says, if you make one point of a mistake... There it is. Very small. Lord Jesus, my favoritism isn't that big. It was just that one time when I didn't like that guy that much or he just looked a little bit weird. There it is, Lord Jesus. He says, well, if it's just that, you stand guilty like this in all of it. And this is what we love to do. We love to say, Lord, but I'm good. Look, look, there's 99.95% there's good on this. And God says, no, well, in light of the law of liberty, the law that I've given, you stand like this. You stand guilty. So if you have been partial in any way, if you had to hold up your account this morning, it would be black like the paper I just held up. And then he says, there's something that I need you to realize. That when we stand guilty like this, and you're completely guilty, and he brings partiality up against things like murder and adultery, which we consider big sins, but in the view of God's kingdom, there's nothing like big and small. The consequences are different, but sin is sin. He says, if you stand guilty like that, there is good news. Because you ought to live like someone who's going to be judged according to this law of liberty. So live and so speak knowing that the judge is on his way. But you know what? You are going to mess it up. You are going to have those moments where your heart leans to preferring someone else above another based on what you see or think or culture predicts it to be. So let me end with these thoughts, James says. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And for a moment, he takes us back to the gospel message of Jesus. That each one of us will fall short of the law. And each one of us has fallen short and might again in many times fall short in this idea of separating people in various groups. And he says, but be reminded that mercy triumphs over judgment. What he's not saying is that you can live however you want to live. Because one day when Jesus returns, there will be mercy. He says, no, those who shown mercy in this world will receive mercy. Those who adapted their lives to live according to the glory of Jesus and the culture of His kingdom and change the way that they interact with others and they apply the royal law of love, those will receive mercy for the times that they've made mistakes and for the times that they've re been repenting of it. So remember that mercy has come. And here's the, the thought I really think He's trying to bring to us. He's saying, imagine for a moment... Jesus looked at people the way we do. Imagine, imagine Jesus had to look at you in your soul poverty, 
in your filth, in your brokenness, in your pain. And he looked at someone else and like, wow, this person is pretty good. It's not a lot of brokenness there. Pretty rich, pretty sorted out. Imagine Jesus had these two in front of him. And he said, you know what? I don't like engaging here that much. It's a little bit uncomfortable. I don't want to go here. But this guy's a little bit better. Looks better, smells better. It's got it worked out. It's got a little bit more money. I'm going to go for this. What James does, and he says, in light of the law, both of these are equally broken, poor, filthy, in fact, dead. Ephesians 2 says this, And you were dead in the trespass and sins in which you once walked, following the cause of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which, which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespass, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. How did God interact? Not just with those who's got it a little bit more sorted out and with those who are really broken and poor. He treated us all the same. He said, all of you were dead. All of you were found in the filth of your sin. And to all of you, I've brought exactly the same message. And it's the message, but God, being rich in mercy, have taken you out of that space and have seated you in heavenly places. That's the gospel right there. And when we pay attention to the glory of Jesus and what He's done, His kingdom, His royal law, we will be people who bring mercy to all kinds of people. And that segregation and that distinction will not be in us anymore. And that, I believe, church, is the message that James is wanting to bring across. Be not like man. Be not like the culture around you that makes distinction. But think higher like Jesus did because He all look at us the same. And He's brought to us the same message of hope and mercy. So this morning, my invitation and my closing thought is this. That you pay attention to your own heart for the next few moments. And not just the next few moments, but into this week. Not just into this week but into a whole new way of life when you see other people. We're going to give you guys a few minutes to think through these thoughts again. I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit would bring to light in your own heart where you have played judge and where you have taken your, your place on the seat of judgment. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to show you where your preferences have been tainted and stained by this world. And I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit will remind you that you once were like the poorest poor, the filthiest in your own sin and brokenness. And yet Jesus came and He reached out to you. So therefore, let us live like that. Holy Spirit, I pray this morning for my brothers and my sisters. Lord, this week, even in my own life, you've just Reveal to me where I have been so wrong in this, Father. And I pray that you would continue to speak to my heart and to every heart that is hearing this message this morning. That you would bring to mind and bring to 
to light where we have not been merciful, where we have not acted according to the law of love, where we have not loved people the way that you do. Lord, I'm so aware that in our own strength, it is impossible because our human nature and our flesh and our desires and our own selves, Lord, find it so difficult to say yes to this and live it out of our own strength. But this morning, I know that we are empowered by your Holy Spirit. So I pray, Holy Spirit, two things. Will you come and convict us of sin and righteousness and judgment as you do? Will you come and show us where we ought to be sanctified and where we've allowed this sin in our own lives, in our church family, in our own families? Lord, we want to come and like James says later on his letter, Confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. Lord, we want to come this morning with confessing hearts who say, Lord, that we are sorry. And secondly, Holy Spirit, will you be the force, the power, the fire, the flame, the convicting presence, the indwelling presence every single day of our lives who lets us see people the way that we ought to see people. Let us not try and do this out of our own efforts, but come and change us so that we do this by the power of your presence. I pray for that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.